0: Will you come and follow me is a song that we've just sung. That, as we've already heard this morning, is what we find difficult, isn't it, in a world around us, in a world that where once it was classed as a Christian country, we are now living in a country that is deemed to be more secular than Christian. In our evening services um, over since January, um, we have been working our way through the Old Testament. And we've got it such that by the end of the year, we will have reached the book of Malachi. And can I just say, I know the majority of you here don't come in uh, the evening on on a Sunday, but you are missing out on an absolutely wonderful series. And if you are someone who likes to listen to sermons online or to podcasts or something else, can I encourage you just to link in off the website onto the Sunday evening services? Because it's been really fascinating seeing God's hand at work. Sometimes we'll pick passages at random and we don't see the whole picture but through this year we are looking at how god has moved from the very beginning and he will continue to move through the old testament week by week and one of the things that uh, we learnt earlier on in january uh, was how adam and eve had been daily communing with god until they took the actions that they did of eating from the fruit that meant they ended up being banished from the garden. And how they and their descendants, including us all these years later, have ended up living in community with other people. And we learnt how sin and murder and vengeance and corruption of marriage and envy and all those things that we recognise today were in evidence all those years ago. And how, as a result, of no longer daily communing with God. Adam, Eve, and all the descendants since have had to work out how that means that they and we live, how we adjust to living when the lifestyles and the choices that are being made around us aren't stemming from God but are stemming from very different places. Our title today is called Modern Day Arguments and it's looking at the whole... I was given the the entirety of chapters 18 and 19 to look at this morning and you'll be pleased to know that we're not looking completely at the two chapters, although I do encourage you maybe afterwards to just look at the whole context of chapters 18 and 19 as I've narrowed it down to the passages that we've heard today. But in these two chapters... There are huge subjects being discussed. The subject of quarreling. The subject, as we've heard, about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's the subject of the need for the heart to be right in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's the consequences of what happens if you cause someone else to stumble. There's the whole subject of how to deal with sin in the church and the subject of divorce and the understanding about forgiveness, and it goes on. Those words were written over 2,000 years ago, but as you read them and as we've heard the passages today, you'd have thought that they were being written for our society, for us as Christians today. Let's face it, we only need to watch our televisions or go on to see to social media to realize that people are all too happy to talk about how they have more than another, how they have been treated more unfairly than their sibling or their parent or their work colleague, how the people are too happy to talk about how they are more famous than somebody else. And just as that's happening today, it was happening back in Jesus' time where personal standing and authority had such a place that we can read about here in chapters 18 and 19. That's why the rich young ruler was asking those questions of Jesus How can I get into the kingdom of heaven? And he was told he needed to go and sell his possessions. It was lying behind the motives of the heart. But we only need to go back to the beginning of God's word, to the beginning of creation, to realize those subjects were in community then. Sin and murder and vengeance and corruption and greed have as much place today as they had in the time of Jesus, as they had right back at the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. So how can we, as Christians today, break that cycle and act and behave differently? Well, firstly, I want us to think about our attitude of ourselves towards others. And at the beginning passage, um, Addison read to us, Jesus was answering the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And that was a subject that turns up again in chapter 19 where we see the importance that God places on children. We know that familiar passage, let the children come to me when Jesus was welcoming them and the disciples were pushing them away. And in chapter 18 a bit later on he talks about the shepherd leaving the sheep behind to go out and look for the lost one reinforcing the point that all people matter to God. And in the passage, Alison read, Jesus called a small child forward, not just within that circle of his disciples, but in amongst a crowd. Can you imagine being that small child, being beckoned forward to come to the side of Jesus, this well-known, popular person? Going forward and being welcomed by Him. What trust that child had. What a welcome that child received. I wonder then that children are welcomed by God. But I wonder as I think about that particular example that we find in chapter 18. What about our language and our attitude towards those who are younger? I was in um, a church taking the service during a pastoral vacancy once. And they were telling me that um, this was a church that was largely full of older people. And they were telling me that um, their next minister, they were going to call a new minister. And this minister was going to bring in all the children and the families so that this would be a representative church. No longer would it be a church of older people, but a church full of all ages. And they, they were very excitedly telling me that this was what was going to happen. And I said to them, oh, so how are you going to feel then when your minister's no longer able to come and visit you at home? Or when your minister's not able to come to your meetings because they're running other things? Or how will you feel when your worship style on a Sunday changes to incorporate and adapt all these different age groups? or when your building no longer looks as pristine as it does at the moment, because, inevitably, when you have more ages, you have more... It will be less tidy, shall I say. And perhaps the noise levels on a Sunday morning will go up as the children will run around or chatter together. And they looked completely horrified. This idealistic view that they had of what they wanted to happen was within a set framework of how they perceived it would be made to come into reality. And they didn't really understand that if that was what they wanted, that would mean that there would be changes on all fronts as well. I'm sure like me, you've watched the youngsters going out to their own groups this morning and maybe we think, yeah, it's great, we have a church that is representative of all ages. And yet, how many times have we heard over the last few weeks and months of the need for people to come and help, whether it's on a Friday night at the youth club or just not even teaching necessarily but helping with our young people Sunday by Sunday? We can still only run Sunday school twice a month. We haven't got enough helpers to run more than twice a month. If one of our youth club staff helpers aren't able to make it, we end up having to cancel youth club. And I wonder, as we have said before, what impression do we give to those who are younger than us? I am the first person to put my hand up and say, I wish I knew all our youngsters by name. It's overwhelming, isn't it? We have so many. We are privileged to have so many youngsters here. But I wish I knew them by name. In the way that I wish I knew all of you by name too. But all of us need to make those kinds of efforts. Because they are as welcome as our people who are different to us are welcome. As our people who are from a different place or culture or country than us. When we read this passage from chapter 18 about the children being welcomed, it is about all being welcomed. We live in a world where we recognize that it's no longer appropriate for people to be treated differently just because of who they are or where they've come from or how they look. And yet, that is what can happen. It saddens us as ministers when we stand and say goodbye to people on the door and we look around and there are people standing on their own, sitting at tables on their own, people not talking to others and they're left on their own. Whether they are newcomers or people who've been coming regularly, this isn't how God would want us to be. Our attitude. Of self. Yes, I know on a Sunday it's great to catch up with our friends, but we're called to love and welcome all, just as that passage is reminding us that all are welcome by God, no matter what our age, no matter who we are. If we go on to think about this Bible passage and think about the servant who received mercy from his master or from the king, depending on your translation, we realize that that Servant who received mercy didn't go and do likewise to others, to his fellow servant. We may be welcomed by others, but we may not. If we feel this is a good place, let's help others feel that this is a good place to be too no matter who they are, whether they are the same or different from us, whether they are new or they've been coming for years. Let us make this a place where all are welcome. So firstly, our attitude of self towards others. Secondly, our attitude of heart. These are really hard-hitting passages in chapters 18 and 19, and in verse 21 of that we've heard. When Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And Jesus was saying here, don't keep a count of the need to forgive. This is what Peter was suggesting. You don't count, well, I've forgiven you once. I've forgiven you twice. I've forgiven you three times. Jesus is saying it's not about forgiving someone and keeping account of how many times that we've forgiven them. But it's about the attitude of heart that accompanied that act of forgiveness. It's about the attitude of hearts that really means how we relate to people going forward. Let's think about it. When we have been forgiven by God, he forgives us utterly. He forgives us without measure. He forgives us completely. And when we may make the same mistake again, he doesn't drag up all the old times that we've done it before. He forgives us afresh. And here in the passage, we are being reminded that we too need to do that. When we've received an apology, we need to accept that apology and move on. Not come away from that situation and think, well, that was okay. They finally got the message. Because we're not showing the right heart response in that. And when they injure or hurt us or say something again in the future, let's not drag up all that's happened in the past. Because if we have been like God, when we've been forgiven without measure and completely and utterly, then we too need to be following that example That's what Jesus is saying here in this passage. And so for the servant who received that forgiveness, that cancelling of his debt by his master, he had failed to realise the enormity of what that had really meant. The servant's master knew that for that servant to repay the debt that was owed to him, was just an impossible task but when the servant bent down and pleaded and begged on behalf of him and his family compassion and mercy and forgiveness was shame and his debt was cancelled but he didn't go with that attitude of forgiveness and being restored and that cancelling of debt being gone No, he almost seemed to go out and actively look for someone to whom he could almost reflect what had just happened to him. He didn't show any mercy to his fellow servant who owed him money. He didn't show any compassion or any grace, even when they humbled themselves before him. His attitude of heart wasn't right, and we know that the consequences was that he was punished for it. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name is the song that we sang just before we came. Your grace will never be forgot, another song that we've sung today. But do we? Do we keep hold? Do we keep count? Do we not allow our attitudes of heart to be the genuine ones as taught by Jesus. We are called to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. And maybe that's how exteriorly, how how outwardly we appear. But I think sometimes we forget that God truly knows what is going on in our hearts. God truly knows what is going on in our thoughts. And there are consequences, as it tells us in chapter 19, as we will be hearing next, as we look at our attitude towards God. Because in verse 35, it says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. At the end of chapter 19, Jesus said to his disciples, in verse 28 onwards, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He was talking to his disciples. And he goes on to say, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake, Will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. We may present outwardly to people around us as people who are walking with God, who are trying to follow what God tells us to do from our scriptures. God can see our hearts, God can see our attitudes when maybe other people around us aren't watching. And as I read those two passages from chapters 18 and 19, this is how my heavenly Father will treat you. Many who are first will be last and the last will be first. I was reminded of the story of Pilgrim's Progress written by John Bunyan. I know some of you are aware of the story And it reminded me of how as we walk our walk daily with God, the struggle like Christian had to stay on the narrow way rather than the way of the world, to struggle following the ways of God's teachings rather than the ways of the world. We can have people alongside us who can encourage us or can lead us astray. People who alongside us think they know better than us And then we take our eyes off God and end up listening to the voice that perhaps we shouldn't have done. We, if we know the story, knows what happens to Christian when he finally made it towards a city of gold. But here in this passage from these two chapters, we are also reminded that yes, being a Christian is about accepting Christ at that moment at our beginning and allowing him in and turning our lives around and recognizing the good news of the gospel but it doesn't stop there we are called on a journey of discipleship that's why our text this year reminds us of the need to grow deeper in our faith to be bolder in how we act and that means that in the way that we live, we need to be more Christ-like in our attitudes. Because we don't know, as it says here, who will be firstly welcomed by God and who may be surprised that they are not first in the key. Because let's also remember that one of the disciples who was hearing this message from Jesus was one of those disciples who went on to betray him, as we'll be remembering in a couple of weeks' time. He, Judas, had the opportunity to hear Jesus' words firsthand and yet still he went on a different path. All of us can hear God's word, can read our Bibles, can listen to teaching, but we need to have the attitude of God deep within us to make sure that we are living those lives as God wants us to. To have the right attitude of self towards others, the right attitude of heart towards others, the right attitude of self and heart towards God. Because we will all be facing that day of judgment And yes, as much as God loves us and as much as the welcome is by God that we regularly talk about here, we also know that there will be a moment where we are asked to be accountable for our actions. And I want to be, as Christian was at the end of the Pilgrim's Progress, welcomed into that city and not left aside like others who are on a similar journey to him. Will we follow him despite the difficulty, despite the hard teachings that we have to address, despite the attitudes that we may need to change? Only you or I will know. I'm just going to call pauses now before we sing our last hymn to just give God that space to speak into our hearts. And so I invite you just to be still with me. And just to allow God to speak into our lives. And to challenge us where we need to be challenged. Perhaps to receive that overwhelming forgiveness from him once again. Or to recognize where we perhaps need to change. Father God, as we hold our hands up before you now, help us to recognize that you are bigger than we are. And we need more of you in our lives and less of us, that those selfish attitudes and those hardened hearts need to be gone. And what needs to come in is the love and the compassion from you, that you have for us that we can have towards others, because we ask this in your name, Amen.